The Story of Rostam and Other Persian Hero Tales from Ferdusi by Elizabeth D. Reninger. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Sonrisa, Servision.org. The Story of Rostam and Other Persian Hero Tales. Rostem's Romance Listen, my children, and you shall hear of the wondrous love of a maiden dear, for a mighty warrior, the pride of his day, who loved and married and rode away. For this is the romance of Rostem. Behold, it is written that never in the garden of kings bloomed there a fairer flower than Tamine, only princess of the house of Samengan. Fresh and sweet as a nosegay of lilies and pinks, this beauteous pomegranate flower, with her laughing dark eyes, her blue-black curls, and her soft, velvety voice, was indeed a joy to behold, and many there were who loved her. But, alas, the princess was willful as well as fair, and so, though she had many suitors from far and near, she was attracted by none of them. For lo, her eye was fixed, and her heart was set upon a bright, particular star, blazing away with more than heavenly splendor in far, far off Persia. So, when her father would have married her unto this or that great prince, half laughing, half earnest, she would say, Nay, nay, my father, one man only will I marry, and that is Rostem, the hero whose mighty prowess is exceeded only by his grandeur of soul. Now as it happened, the king of Samengan was feudatory unto Afrasab, the deadly enemy of Iran. And though the two countries were now at peace, the probability that Rostem, the great Persian Peliva, would ever visit the small kingdom of Samengan, or even so much as hear of the beautiful Tartar princess, seemed most unlikely. Therefore, when Tamine thus spoke of Rustem, the king chided, saying unto her, Foolish child, verily as well mightest thou cry for the moon, as to set thy heart upon so distant and so bright a star. For lo, the southern palm stretcheth forth not its arms unto the northern pine, neither doth the lion mate with the gazelle. Cast, therefore, O pearl of my heart, this hero from thy thoughts, since only grief and pain can it bring unto thee, forever to dream of the unattainable. But this Tamine could not do, for Rostem had become a part of her life, both waking and dreaming, as you shall hear. For it happened that the princess had for her nurse a Persian woman, Fatima by name, who loved nothing so well as to talk of the great champion of her country, so that from childhood up had the Tartar maiden heard the wonder tales of her hero. Yea, the most beautiful part of every day unto her, as far back as she could remember, was the twilight hour, when, seated at her nurse's feet, her head pillowed in her soft lap, for hours she would sit spellbound, listening eagerly unto Fatima as she related the mighty deeds of Rostem. How, when only eight years old, he slew the king's white elephant, of the capture of the magic fortress, of his wonderful march into Mazenderan, of Rakush, and of all his daring deeds as a warrior. And behold, Fatima had also other things to relate of her hero, 
tales illustrating his beautiful tenderness, loyalty, and greatness of soul. And as the princess grew older, these stories appealed more to her than the wonder tales or the deeds of prowess. But all was listened to with eagerness and delight by the infatuated Tamine, who, thus fed upon romance, grew into a tall, beautiful maiden, with never a thought for any man save Rostem the Mighty. But though it seemed most unlikely that the princess would ever behold her hero, lo, it was written in the stars to the contrary, and that which is written, shall it not surely come to pass? So, at least, believe the Persians, and so happened it unto Rostem and Tamine. For presently it came to pass that upon a certain morning Rostem, in faraway Persia, awoke from his slumbers unrefreshed, after a restless night of dreaming. Concluding, therefore, that his muscles were in need of exercise, there being no enemies to fight, the hero resolved to go off upon a long hunting trip. So filling his quiver with arrows, he saddled Rakush and set out for the beautiful wilds that border upon Turan. Now, arrived at the hunting ground, Rustem found good sport, for the plain was covered with great herds of wild asses that roamed at will from the sullen grandeur of the uplands to the fairer vales below. Setting spurs to Rakush, therefore, gaily the hero pursued them through wood and glen, and often did his quivering darts pierce the glossy skin of the dangerous game. Yea, and off, too, did his lengthy lasso unfurl, ring upon ring, snaring the wily beasts for his club. So long he hunted, until finally, night drawing on, he said unto Rakush, Enough, my beauty, enough, for tomorrow will be another day. So, his hunting done, straightway the hero proceeded to light a great fire. Then, making a young tree serve as a spit, he ran it through the body of a nice fat gore, hung it over the fire, and roasted it for his meal. And behold, being deliciously done, hungrily he tore it joint from joint, ate of it his fill, and broke the bones for the marrow. Then, tired with his long day's sport, the weary hunter sought the shade of a thicket and lay down to sleep fanned by the plumes of the glorious palms above his head, and lulled to rest by the cooing doves and sunbirds that fluttered through their swinging crowns. Yea, and watched over by faithful Rakush, who wandered never far from his sleeping master. Now while Rustam peacefully slept, the hand of fate was busy weaving into the pattern of his life some new threads. For on this eventful day, a traveller on his way to Samengan had beheld the Mighty One hunting. So it came to pass that having arrived at the court, he told the astonishing news, which spread until it reached the ears of Fatima, who at once rushed to inform her young mistress. Now at first Tamine, upon hearing this story, was incredulous, but having summoned the traveller into her presence, her doubts were soon dispelled, for he said, "'Gracious princess, behold,' As I crossed the great salt plains upon the border of the kingdom this day, I encountered a solitary huntsman, mounted upon a magnificent charger, and towering in his saddle like a giant among men. More like unto a god than mortal man, surely this could have been no other than Rostem, the champion of the world, and his famous war-horse Rakush, for verily there exist not two such mighty heroes in the world, of that I am certain. Thus spake the traveller, and being dismissed, Fatima, all excitement, cried eagerly unto her mistress, O rose of the world, rejoice, for behold, thy hero draweth near, 
and yet thine eyes may be gladdened by his coming. For surely no man could see the mighty Rostem and mistake him for another, since, as the traveller saith, in all the world there are no two such, nay, nor methinks in heaven either. Now hearing these words, the heart of Tamine leaped and rejoiced like unto that of a gay singing bird, as embracing Fatima, she exclaimed joyously, her soft dark eyes shining like stars, Fatima, old dragon, listen and admire, for behold, thy bright pomegranate flower hath determined to gaze upon this glorious Persian sun, and if it withereth all her gay petals, and the stars decree that thou must help her. But Fatima, hearing these words, quickly repented of her impetuosity, for right well she knew the willfulness of her mistress, and she feared unto what it might lead. Therefore she replied unto Tamine, Pearl of my heart, be not foolish, for how is it possible for thee to accomplish the desire of thy heart? The great Rostem is traveling north, and it is not probable either that he will visit our court or delay his journey. How then canst thou hope to see him? Now thus questioned, for a time Tamine was silent. But being a young woman of some resource, she was not to be dismayed by obstacles which might have deterred smaller souls. For had she not all her life been hoping against hope for just this opportunity? And now that it had come, was she to sit quietly down, allowing it to pass by unimproved? Verily nay. For some minutes, however, the princess did sit down, thinking hard. But presently, springing gaily to her feet, a mischievous light sparkling and dancing in her wonderful dark eyes, she cried, Kiss me, Fatima, kiss me, for verily thou beholdest before thee the happiest princess in the whole wide world. Soon I shall see, and perhaps win, the hero of my dreams, and thou too, methinks, will rejoice once more to behold thy country's champion. Now let not thine eyes pop out of thy head, old dragon, neither be thou dismayed, for I shall not go forth unto the great Rostem, but he shall come unto me. For look you, the plan is quite simple, since we have only to take captive Rakush, when the hero will come quickly enough to recover his glorious steed. Alas, the proposition of stealing Rakush was unto Fatima as daring and awful an idea as the thought of stealing Rostem himself. But realizing that it was useless to oppose her young mistress, she replied not, save by a deep groan. Ignoring the groan, however, the princess continued, Listen now, my dear old Fatima, for verily the plot is a famous one, but it must be carried out tonight, before Rostem hath departed, else it will be too late. Now methinks that not by strength, but by stratagem, must Rakush the terrible be captured. Therefore, when darkness covereth the land tonight, we will send forth six wily herdsmen, mounted upon light, swift horses, spurring them on to the enterprise, by offering them princely rewards if successful. They must be, of course, men expert with the lasso, and they must entrap, without harming, Rakush while Rustem sleeps, returning with him unto the royal stables before dawn. Thus elaborated Tamine her plan unto Fatima, who, relieved that it threatened no danger to the princess, nevertheless protested loudly, tearing her hair and clothes, weeping and lamenting bitterly, but of course she ended by doing the will of her mistress, as did also the men chosen, 
for well they knew that any service faithfully performed would be liberally rewarded by the Princess Tamine. Meanwhile, little dreamed the mighty Rustem, as he soundly slept on his bed of moss that night, after his famous day's hunting, of the filmy web that this bright-eyed princess was securely weaving about him. Yea, and even intelligent Rakush, though he slept not, little suspected that for long seven dark figures had stealthily stalked him throughout the night. For the Tartar warriors who followed him, knowing quite well that no easy task was involved in carrying out the commands of their princess, proceeded most cautiously. Finally, however, advancing stealthily, the seven clever ones tried to take their prize unawares by throwing a lasso over his head. But in vain, for the noise of the uncoiling lariat piercing unto the ear of Rakush, dexterously he avoided the cruel cord, standing with his ears alert and pawing feet of anger. Now for a second thus he stood, then having located his enemy, like a lion he sprang upon them, striking two of the foe dead with a single stroke of his forefeet, and savagely biting off the head of a third. Thus three of the company were safely disposed of, and the brave Rakush was not yet taken. Nor would he have been, for never yet had man or demon entrapped or overcome the glorious steed. But for the sake of the beautiful princess, the stars decreed it. So presently, after a hard fight, the four succeeded in entangling him with their lassos, and thus it came to pass that just before the day dawned, the proud war-horse of Rostem was led, gagged and blindfolded, into the stables of the king of Samengan. And behold, when the princess Tamine from her balcony at last beheld the famous war-horse loom up along the shadowy road, so great was her joy that, regardless of the fact that Rakush was tossing his head, stamping his hoofs, and snorting protests like an angry dragon, she would have flown down to welcome him with soft caress, had not the faithful Fatima urged that such a step might undo all that had been accomplished. But though the dawn brought joy unto Tamine, its message unto Rostem was that of sorrow. For behold, when he called unto Rakush, no answering nay rang out the glad reply. Thinking, however, that his steed had perhaps but strayed beyond the sound of his first gentle call, the hero quickly came out into the open, calling unto Rakush in a voice of thunder. But still there came no answer. Then was the heart of the mighty one troubled, for well he knew that his faithful steed had not willingly strayed away. Now in his dismay he said unto himself, What a dilemma! For now I must go on foot, carrying my quiver and my great club, this heavy helmet and coat of mail, and my life-destroying sword. And seeing me thus, how the Tartars will scoff, saying among themselves, Behold the mighty Rostem! While he slept, someone must have stolen his horse. Now thus shall I be put to shame before my enemies, that which never yet hath happened unto Rostem. Thus communing with himself, busily the hero searched for some trace of his missing steed, and not in vain, for at last he detected the footprints of a scuffle down by the stream that murmured at the foot of the shady glen. Here great hoof-marks pointed out the field of battle, the ground being ploughed up on all sides, indicating how desperately the mighty steed had resisted his wily captors. Then farther on could be traced the steps of Rakush between two other horses, closely followed by a third, which plainly said unto Rustem that his faithful companion had been stolen. 
And now, boiling over with rage and sorrow, the heart of Rustem beat to but one refrain, Vengeance! Vengeance upon the captors of Rakush! Pausing not, however, quickly he followed the traces of his horse's hoofs, and lo, they led him unto the gates of Samengan. Then Rustem, perceiving whither the footprints led, swear unto heaven a great oath, and he said, By the sun, and moon, and stars, I swear that if aught of harm hath come unto Rakush through this king or his people, verily the thief shall pay for it with his head. Meanwhile, knowing not of the capture of Rakush, as Rustem approached the shining turrets of the city, great was the astonishment of the king and those about him when they beheld the manner of his coming. Nevertheless, they hurried forth to greet their distinguished guest. The king saying unto him, O glorious Peliva, never hath Samangan been so honored in a guest, and lo, her king saith unto thee, Welcome. But how happeneth it that the mighty Rustem cometh unto us afoot and unattended? If misfortune hath befallen, behold, we are all at thy service. But unto this courteous greeting Rustem replied coldly, relating briefly unto the king all that had come to pass. Then becoming more angry as he talked, once more the hero sware that many heads should quit their trunks if his charger were not returned unto him right speedily, void of harm. Then the king, seeing that Rostem was beside himself with anger, spake words of comfort unto the hero, for he knew how dear unto him was his glorious steed, and he said, O hero of heroes, be not so disturbed in thy spirit, for verily anger profiteth nothing. It is by charming that one lureth the serpent from his hole. As for Rakush, if still within the limits of my reign, the well-known courser shall be thine again. For Rakush never can remain concealed, no more than Rostem on the battlefield. Take courage, therefore, and be of good cheer, for soon thy glorious other self shall be restored unto thee, and all will be well. As for the thief, when detected, he shall be placed in thy hands, to slay or to spare, according to thy good pleasure. But as for Rustem, for this one night, at least, he must tarry at Samangan as our honored guest. So being satisfied with these promises, Rustem put away all suspicion from his mind and became the king's guest. Then all day they feasted and made merry, beguiling the hours with wine and sweet words. Nor could the king sufficiently honor his guest, though he encompassed him with music and song, and waited upon him with his own hands, as though he were his slave. And behold, when night was fallen, the monarch himself led Rustem onto a couch perfumed with musk and roses, bidding him slumber peacefully until morning, when he should again be made glad in Rakush, his steed. Now thus delightfully couched, Rustem slept dreamlessly until the star of morning stood high in the arch of heaven. Then suddenly there fell upon his ear the murmur of soft, womanly voices, which caused the hero to start up in confused amazement. Seeing nothing, however, he closed his eyes again, for he thought that he had dreamed. But though his conclusion was natural, the hero dreamed not, for presently the heavy curtains were drawn softly aside, and there stepped within the chamber a slave bearing a lamp perfumed with amber. And following after, her veil but half-concealing her lovely face, Rustem beheld the fairest maiden his eyes had ever gazed upon. Now for a moment the lovely vision lingered upon the threshold, poised like a frightened bird for hasty flight, 
the rich color suffusing her olive cheek, her dark eyes beaming beneath their splendid lashes, and her pomegranate mouth, flower-soft and sensitive, slightly parted. Then, gaining courage, slowly she advanced toward the hero, and as she moved, fragrance was scattered from her robes, and her long black ringlets, musk-perfumed, seemed unto Rustem as fateful as the warrior's kamund. Yet, though enchanted, the warrior sighed, for again he thought he but dreamed. But even as he would have settled himself once more unto slumber, behold, like music upon his ear, fell the soft voice of Tamine, bidding Fatima retire to the distant window. Now this fully awoke the young warrior, who, springing quickly from his couch, gazed in astonished delight at his enchanting visitor. Then Tamine spoke in the soft, velvety tones she could use so effectively when she chose, and she said, My lord Rustem, thou beholdest before thee the princess Tamine, daughter of the king, and she hath come thus into thy presence, because the need is urgent, for she would crave thy pardon for a great wrong which she hath done unto thee, and which she heareth carrieth with it a fearful penalty. Now, amazed at this most surprising confession poured forth from tempting lips, molded for love's recompense alone, for a second the valiant Rustem was silenced by the wonder and unexpectedness of it all. Quickly recovering himself, however, he replied unto the maiden, Thou, fair princess, thou hast done me a wrong? Truly I know not what wrong thou canst have done me, unless it be the mischief wrought by thy bright eyes, since they have shone so radiantly upon me. It is true, my heart whispers unto me, that thy wondrous beauty hath caught me in its snare. But if that be thy sin, it carrieth with it a delightful penalty, one which thou needest not fear. Now this reply, so unlike that of a mighty warrior, caused a roguish smile to play about the fascinating lips of the princess Tamine, who, casting upon the speaker one bright admiring glance from her sparkling eyes, then modestly dropped them, replying demurely unto this gallant speech, Who knoweth, my lord, but that, perchance, I would gladly add that theft unto the other, but greatly I fear that thou wilt consider my first offence the greater, for it was I, and none other, who had stolen from thee Rakush, thy steed of battle, who even now slumbereth peacefully in the royal stables. So spake Tamine, and though, as we know, her words were true, yet was it long before she could persuade the master of Rakush that she did not jest. When she finally convinced him, however, so great was his joy in knowing Rakush safe and unharmed, that, behold, he forgot to be angry with the thief. But after all, who could blame him? For the thief was very fair, and she confessed with a voice that rivaled the magic notes of the bulbul chanting unto his mate. And besides, the master of Rakush had it in his heart to ask a great boon of the princess, and this time he remembered that not by anger, but by charming, one lureth a bird from the bush. So smiling, he said unto Tamine, Fair princess, behold, thou standest before thy judge, convicted of two serious crimes. Two conditions must thou fulfill, therefore, if thou wouldst obtain thy pardon. First, the judge must be allowed to gaze upon the face of the fair culprit, else how can he administer suitable punishment? And second, he must be informed as to the motive of the theft, 
for that puzzle hath yet to be unraveled. Now at this embarrassing sentence, the lovely Tamine stood silent before her judge, looking indeed like a culprit, fostering half a desire to flee. But presently, rallying her forces, she replied bravely unto the mighty one, though her soft voice trembled, and she looked not up. My lord Rostem, though news unto thee, since thou art a mighty warrior, I suppose it is yet true that every maiden hath her hero. Now it is owing to Fatima there, who is a Persian, that I have mine, a hero of whose fame and valorous deeds I have dreamed my life long, whose like ne'er was and ne'er will be again, whose glory reacheth even unto the stars. And thou must know also, O mighty one, that every maiden longeth to gaze upon the face of the only hero in the world for her. That is why I stole thy horse. And now, since thou knowest my utmost guilt, findest thou my crime too great for pardon? But unto this plea, for some minutes, Rustem replied not, for persistently his heart kept singing, The only hero in the world for her? The only hero in the world for her! Now praise was no new thing unto the champion of the world, but never before had it been offered with such subtle charm. And besides, with joy the warrior recognized that here was a spirit akin unto his own, in its dauntlessness and longings after the best. Drawing near unto the princess, therefore, the only hero in the world, said unto her softly, Fair pomegranate flower, one of the conditions truly thou hast fulfilled, but the other must be met also, for verily my eyes are hungry for full sight of lips that can murmur words so sweet to hear. But the princess, drawing closer the long white veil which half concealed her face, stepped quickly back, saying proudly unto the eager Rustem, Nay, nay, my lord, that is a privilege I grant only unto the man who weddeth me. Now saying this, slowly the princess moved toward the curtains, as though she would go. But Rustem, detaining her, cried out impetuously, O pearl among women, stay, for verily my heart hath wakened, and calleth unto thee for its mate. Only consent therefore, and to-morrow we will be wed. But though these words sounded unto Tamine like a paean of victory, she received them coldly. For well she knew that no man, least of all a warrior, careth for what he can win too easily. And then it was that Rostem, in whom contradiction ever roused a fiery purpose to obtain his will, vowed again and yet again that he could not live without her, that he would wed but her, and that before the morrow's sun had set, that from henceforth honor and praise and glory would be as ashes unto his lips, unless he shared with his moon of beauty. So now, having thus aroused desire, softly the princess drew aside her veil. Then, before the enraptured Rustem had wakened to the danger, like a gay hummingbird, swiftly away she flew, leaving in his hands her veil, which he in his eagerness had seized, lest she hide that lovely face again too soon. And as she fled, like chimes of bells, there floated back the sound of merry laughter, which but fanned the flame glowing already so brightly in the awakened heart of the hero, left gazing so ruefully upon love's only token, the dainty, fragrant, cruel film of lace. Now regarding it tenderly, the warrior smiled and said, Behold, the gay young singing bird hath flown, 
leaving her pretty wing in the too rough hand of her captor. But by the sun and moon and stars, I swear that yet shall she be mine, for mighty in love shall Rustam be, as well as in deeds of valor. Consequently, when morning dawned, and the hero once more beheld the king, ceremoniously he asked for Tamine's hand in marriage. Yea, and the monarch of Samengan listened to him gladly, for was it not Rostem the mighty who sued? And did he not know but too well the heart of his moon of beauty? So that very day was the marriage bower crowned with roses and decked with white lilies, while the royal abode was flooded with music and sunshine to grace the glad wedding of the princess Tamine. And when all was over, verily it seemed unto Rustem and his pretty singing bird, as if the world, like some vast tidal wave, had rolled away, leaving them alone with their happiness upon the golden shores of the land of delight. Now thus it was that Tamine, princess of Samengan, obtained her heart's desire. And behold, for one bright summer month, she tasted such happiness as is seldom vouchsafed, even unto the children of Ormuzd. Wandering into the myrtle groves, or strolling together in the shady forest, the princess now heard from the hero's own lips marvelous tales of adventure, and the days passed for both like a happy dream. But alas, in the Book of Fate it is written that pure happiness is not for mortals, and so, when one bright moon had run her course, relentlessly sorrow, joy's somber twin, invaded this land of delight. And behold, not suddenly but with stealth, the invader drew nigh, attacking first the hero of battles. For gradually Rustem became restless, and impatient with his life of inactivity, longing intensely for the excitement of warfare and adventure to which he was accustomed and for which he was formed. For alas, nature, in giving unto him his giant frame and mighty muscles, his valorous heart, and his soul that joyed above all else in battle, had planned and destined the mighty son of Zal to shine through all the ages, not as a lover, but as the type of the perfect warrior. Now slowly this truth was brought home unto Tamine, as she noted the ever-increasing restlessness of her hero, which even she could not always still, though she knew that he loved her tenderly. And though she spake not of it, her heart became burdened with sorrow, for she knew that the time was now not far off when Rustem would go back into his own people and life, perhaps forgetting her in the more powerful attractions of war, while she must needs love him forever. The Story of Rostem and Other Persian Fairy Tales from Ferdusi by Elizabeth D. Renninger Rostem's Romance <laughs>